0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we got a big show planned for you today. Not only is it Tyson Fury Fight Week. Who's ready to see Tyson Fury back in the ring? I know I am, and uh, I heard that Deontay Wilder will be in attendance. He's making the trip over to the UK to to see this one go down, and uh, I can see it right now. I can see Tyson Fury picking up the win, and Deontay Wilder getting in the ring, getting in his face and uh, which bangs the drama? Showtime will make the announcement for a big time heavyweight fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder uh, later on in the week. Also on that card, you'll see uh, Carl Frampton fighting for the WBO interim title. That's something that uh, that gets your juices flowing. Uh, that's some of the boxing going up coming up this weekend. Also, Top Rank has a card coming out of Atlantic City. Got Brian Jennings, uh, Jesse Hart. Uh, there'll be an action too. In addition to that, we also have on this show a uh, Top Rank guy. He is tim bradley jr you don't want to miss this interview 30 minutes hard hitting interview with the desert storm himself uh tim bradley we'll talk about his uh career his new broadcasting career which uh, is pretty interesting to hear from that side, a guy that has prepared his whole life to be a world champion, and now he's uh, taking that same approach into broadcasting. We talked a little bit about uh, his fighting career and uh, a lot about the current game. He has some strong opinions on an Errol Spence uh, versus Terrence Crawford fight, uh, as well as the one fight that he wishes that he had in his career. <clears throat> Hint and runs with uh, Bayweather. But uh big-time interview uh, with uh, Tim Bradley. We also have a new, uh, uh, in case you missed it, a lot of stuff going on in the world of boxing. Some Dana White news. Uh, some Eddie Hearn news, of course. Uh, Manny Pacquiao keeps his name in the headlines. And, and uh, also, we have a Twitter hitter segment that is just chock full of uh, surprises. We got uh, Mia St. John, a name I thought I'd never, ever say on this show. And, of course, Paulie Malignaggi is out of hiding and he's tweeting everybody paulie is back on the prowl he's getting those twitter fingers going uh him and mcgregor going at it you know as they say it's like a little bit of a, um, a a slow time in boxing towards the end of august when everyone is on vacation and stuff and there's not a lot of big fights being made but that's not does not stop in boxing there's so much going on everything is gearing up for uh the september run from september to december and uh, maybe a month from now we see in the ring triple g and Canelo a fight that no, no one's really talking about not getting the press that we usually see that's going to ramp up at the end of the month when HBO brings out 24-7 and what we're hearing right now is a lot of Triple G chirping a lot of uncharacteristic chirps from Triple G talking about Canelo something to keep your eye on but uh, we're going to get right into it we got in case you missed it coming up it's a loaded episode inside boxing live. Boxing is a sport that doesn't have an off-season, but everyone knows towards the end of the summer that's when things slow down a little bit, but not this week. We have a jam-packed in case you missed it. Let's start off with Dana White. I read this this past week that Dana White says Zufa Boxing has stalled out a little bit. And there's a lot of people out there that want to say, I told you so. Um, But this is just evidence, in my opinion, just how fractured the sport is at the moment. We have HBO. We have Showtime. We have ESPN+. We have the Zone. We have Facebook Watch, all different entities with different fighters on their rosters. Now you have a guy like Dana White coming into the the picture here who has all the capital, has all the money. He has the star power to go along with it, but he has nowhere to go. And that's one of his quotes when he was talking about this. I think he was on the uh, James Norton um, podcast, is that he has nowhere to go really. Like he has all the money, but he doesn't know where to zero in. Where in the UFC, he has a roster of, what, 500-plus fighters? So he can make any fight he wants. He orders uh, Conor McGregor to fight Khabib, and that's the end of it. And with boxing, <laughs> what he's starting to learn here is that he doesn't know where he wants to go. I mean, the rumors were Mikey Garcia. That was the, his prize target. Also, Anthony Joshua, and this was before Anthony Joshua re-upped with Matchroom. There was that rumor that he wanted to make him a $500, $500 million uh, athlete. And kind of be the face of Zufa boxing. But that quickly stalled out once that uh, Joshua re-up would match him. So Dana White, he's having a little bit of issues here. He says that he was only going to dip his toe into the uh, into the waters. I was actually there when he said that during the McGregor-Mayweather uh, press conference. He wasn't going to jump all in. So he's kind of hedging his bets a little bit. But he says he's still going to go forward here. And I think he's learning that boxing is extremely fractured and it's hard to work with different promoters. We know he has beefs with Aram. He's had beefs with De La Hoya. You know, he doesn't exactly see eye-to-eye eye with Showtime and their representatives. So I think Dana White right now is, is learning just how, how volatile uh, the sport of boxing is. But I do think that he will sign a major boxer, and he will get this going because the guy, he does have an ego, and he does want to be successful. So uh, that's the latest with, with uh, Dana White. As for the biggest fight that's coming up on the boxing schedule, September 15th, Uh, In Las Vegas, Triple G Canelo rematch. And the undercard is taking shape, and it's taking shape very nicely. Uh, We're looking at uh, Jaime Mangia is rumored to be uh, making another defense. He fought just uh, a month ago on HBO uh, against Liam Smith. And um, a very exciting fighter and someone I wouldn't mind seeing on an undercard, even if it's against a guy that he's expected to beat. You know, I want to see more reps from him. I think the fans like him. He's got a fan-friendly style. And he's only, like, in his early 20s, so I'm all for that. And then we're going to see the return of Chocolatito. Uh, it's not; it's going to be another soft touch for him. As the last time he saw him, he was laid out flat on his back in the rematch with Sarwung Visai. So uh, Chocolatito could be making re- his return. But the co-main event is the one that should get, get you percolating a little bit. Get the blood flowing, because it will be a bloodbath. And that's Spike O'Sullivan versus David Lemieux. I mean, that is perfect primer for Triple G Canelo. Two guys that come forward. Two guys that need a big win in the 160 pound division. You got Spike O'Sullivan who was rumored to face uh, Canelo or Triple G. One of the either two when uh, both fell out of the fight. And then Le- David Lemieux as we know on the comeback trail wants to make that last push to become a world champion again. So that undercard right there. If that's the case then I'm all for it and I think that fans will be really happy to see a f- four uh, exciting fights or four interesting fights. Fights that you actually will turn on the TV at 9 p.m. and tune in to see Mangia. You want to tune in to see Chocolatito to see what he has left, and of course the, the bloodbath. That's usually when fans start to tune into pay-per-views is during the second half of the uh, co-main event. But this time you're going to want to tune in and see the beginning. So let's hope it happens. Let's hope that these rumors actually turn out to be true, and we have four great fights on the night of uh, September 15th on HBO uh, pay-per-view. Speaking of Delahoya, he's interested. In making a Spence Canelo fight in 160. Finally, this is a fight with Errol Spence that I can get behind. I don't want to hear about Mikey Garcia, or Errol Spence. I do want to hear about Errol Spence versus Canelo Alvarez. Uh, win or lose in his next fight, Canelo Alvarez, he's still gonna be a major player in the sport of boxing. He people forget how young Canelo is. What is he? 25, 26 years old, been in the sport forever. So he even if, if he loses. Canelo has his reputation. He has a lot of reputations right now, but one of his main reputations before he got into the drug problem or the uh, the PED problem was he'll fight anybody. He'll fight the best, and it's kind of like what with Oscar De La Hoya did in his career. So a fight with Errol Spence, who is yes a hundred and forty seven pounder, but everything we know about Errol Spence that he's a big, one hundred and forty seven pounder. He has to boil down to get to one forty seven. So if you see Spence at maybe one fifty four, maybe they agree to a catch weight. You know, as we know, Canelo has his own weight. He got Canelo weight. That's a fight down the line that I think would be huge. That's a pay-per-view fight, in my opinion. There's not a lot of pay-per-view fights left in boxing. As we're seeing more and more of of boxing move to TV, move to streaming, that traditional huge pay-per-view fight that we're going to see with Canelo and Triple G, yes, that's still out there. But there's not many huge pay-per-view events. I think a Spence-Canelo fight would be huge down the line. And I can see maybe you know Showtime and let's see with HBO if they stay in the picture, but Showtime getting involved with that and making a big bid uh, for that. Moving over to another big-time promoter who's making a lot of noise in the U.S. market. It's Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn wants to sign Manny Pacquiao to zone, which I think is a match made in heaven. This is the type of, of signing that zone needs to make a splash. Yes, they have Anthony Joshua, and he's going to be fighting on on their platform come uh, September. Yes, they have some guys coming over to the U.S. We're going to see Big Baby Miller. We're going to see Jesse Vargas. And there's rumors of other fighters jumping over to the zone. But you have a guy in Manny Pacquiao who still moves the needle. You have a guy in Manny Pacquiao that can still win some fights at 147. And who is sitting there in the match room stable is Amir Khan. Amir Khan has been asking to fight Manny Pacquiao for the last 10 years. Now finally we can see it. But it checks off all the boxes for Manny Pacquiao. Big money. The Zone's got you got big money to throw at some of these fighters. It's a fight out of the US. So it'll probably happen in the UK against uh Amir Khan, and it's a fight that Manny Pacquiao can win. So there it is right there. So I would be interested to see how this plays out. You know, Eddie Hearn's going to uh, is very uh, he can talk you into a lot of things, very persuasive guy. So he sits down with Manny Pacquiao and tells him, listen, you're at the end of your career. I know you want to make the most money. I can throw a lot of money your way, and we can make you even richer, or we can help any type of money problems you have, Manny Pacquiao, and we can make you a champ once again too on top of it. But Nick brings to our next and uh, last topic here. Bob Arum says, not so fast, Eddie Hearn. He gets on, 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 a, on a plane, probably a private jet, I don't think Aram's flying business class to uh, the Philippines. And he's going to sit down with Manny Pacquiao, his longtime, uh, his longtime pupil here, client, or whatever you want to call him. So Pacquiao meets with Aram, and uh, no deal was made at last. last that I uh, checked uh, on on this issue. But you have to think that Aram does not like – one, does not like the fact that, that Eddie Hearn is going to come in here and potentially steal away and kind of uh, – Cash out on Pacquiao, where Aram has put in all the work, his whole career, to make him into this global superstar. But you got to figure that Aram's telling him, listen, I can give you a fight with Lomachenko, I can give you a fight with Terrence Crawford, but where does the money come come into play? How much money can Aram poten- like, offer Manny Pacquiao to fight on ESPN Plus or ESPN? I mean, that's, that's what they have right now. They don't have an HBO uh, outlet anymore. They don't do business with HBO. Aram does not do business with Showtime. So it would most likely be on ESPN. Does ESPN have the type of money that can compete with a who who is just strictly focusing on boxing, where ESPN Plus has tons of other programming? So right now there is a bidding war for Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao, a guy that was, hadn't fought in over a year, was very much in the tail end of his career, but right now has all the major players coveting him. Only in boxing can you see something like that. We try to keep you caught up to date every single week here on Inside Boxing Live. This has been, in case you missed it. All right, joining us now on the Jack Doyle's phone line is a, uh, a former world champion, a uh, former pound-for-pound great, and a current broadcaster for top rank on ESPN. Of course, I am talking about the great Tim Bradley, and he joins us right now on Inside hey. Boxing Live. Tim, how are you doing, my man?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing?
0: Doing well, doing well. Can't complain. I uh, got some uh, big shows coming up on, on ESPN, uh, uh, August 18th, uh, August 25th. Before we get into some of your stuff that's going on or uh, that went on in your career, talk about a little bit about your broadcasting career, man. I feel like uh, I'm not going to be yeah. the first one to say this. I feel like you've improved every week. And right now we're seeing a, a, a guy that really knows the sport. And uh, let's talk a little bit about how you've been enjoying the broadcast game.
1: You know, I really look forward to it. Um, it's, it's one of those things where uh, you know fighters when they retire, they're not, they're unsure what's next. And uh, I've always had an interest in broadcasting um, because I, I do know the sport. Uh, it was just you know my delivery and how I can explain to the fans, you know, what's going on in simpler terms. That was the hardest part for me. And 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 Tessitore and Mark and and Bernardo, the whole team, has, you know, it's grooming. And helped me with that. So it's been great, man. I enjoy it. I I just, I I learned that I think I was about 18 years, 18 years old when I started really breaking down film. And uh, the man that taught me how to break down film, his name was Al Mitchell. And he was a trainer at Marquette, Michigan at the uh, USOEC, uh, former Olympic, Olympic trainer. Um, He had David Reed in the Olympics that won a gold medal. Um, he taught us all how to read film and how to look what to look for and, and, and how to break down fighters And so that was always a, a thing that I would do when I was getting ready to prepare for my fights I would look at my film of the fighter that I was fighting And I basically would put myself in the ring with them and just break down what he does What he doesn't like, what, he, what he's good at, and just stay away from the things that he's good at <laughs> And what he doesn't like, I just throw it in his face all night So
0: yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean I've always been amazed by like guys like Roy Jones Jr., who I think is one of the best uh, uh, the best broadcasters out there right now, and uh, being yeah. able to identify things like thirty seconds into round one of the fight, he'll see something or he'll like predict something that that happens. And I see you do that a lot on ESPN. That's yeah. like a special gift, kind of going back to what you just uh, mentioned.
1: Well, it's just uh, it's just you know habits and, and knowing and knowing the boxing the boxing business been in it my whole life mm-hmm. and just knowing what what to look for when when guys are trying to set up certain punches you can see how, how they're how they're you know how they shift their their weight you know on the back foot or even on the front foot or you see you know their opponent you know dropping their left hand and you see them drop a faint, and you see you know you know what's going to come next because <laughs> they dropped the feint for a reason just to see how the opponent was gonna, how the opponent's going to react and then they're going to you know come with the setup punch so it's just uh, you know looking looking at film and and being in the boxing business for you know my basically my whole life and uh, you know and, and everybody pretty much sets it up pretty much the same way so yeah. it's, it's not that hard it's not that hard to figure out sometimes what's coming uh, or, or what punch is going to be thrown next. Now, Tim, take us back
0: to let's go back to your first broadcast like you have nerves i mean you've been in the ring with the biggest names in in the sport you've been in the biggest fights fight of the years and stuff let's go back to something that you know that maybe wasn't you weren't accustomed to the first fight you ever did uh broadcasting for espn were you nervous like tell us like uh, did you have any funny stories from the night i'd like to hear
1: well um i'm always nervous because uh you know people don't really realize that being nervous is just part of just part of our, our system. It's human nature, man. You have to be nervous, especially when you care about something. So, uh, I'm always nervous. Uh, when I get ready, still right now, when I get ready for a show, I still feel like I'm getting ready to fight, you know, Manny Pacquiao, or, or, or fight against Uzopavonikov, or Marquez, or somebody You know, who's a threat, because I, I really do care about my job and my work, and, uh, you know, I want definitely want to continue to do well. Um, so, you know, it's just getting prepped up. It's just it's no sleep (laughs) i don't sleep well uh at all uh i stay up and i just pretty much study film and study my notes and things like that and uh do you study uh, your copy box notes i study yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) i definitely study those notes um you're welcome i appreciate you man (laughs) because i definitely want to know um who's well, I look at the fights. I mm-hmm. look at the fighters, you know. Um, but the copy, box, the copy box notes help me with, you know, just giving me an idea, of, you know, how many punches are being thrown. Uh, you know, the days off. There's a lot of things that come with that that I like. Those are actually my my favorite notes. I, I keep those notes. Nice. Appreciate and uh, I use them because they definitely they definitely help me because I'm like, okay, this guy's really really busy. Right. He throws eighty six punches around, so it's great. I enjoy I enjoy that. Nice. But, um, but uh, you know, it's just um, I, I, I get I still get nervous, man. I still get nervous like I'm getting prepared for an actual boxing match. Wow, it's just uh, I just don't take the punches.
0: That's <laughs> true. What <laughs> the was the first trip. fight you did for for ESPN? Was it the Pacquiao Horn?
1: Yes, it was the Pacquiao Horn, and I wow. was with uh, with Tess, and I was with uh, you know at that time it was Teddy Atlas. Um and you know I was it was nerve wracking. I mean Teddy Teddy pretty much <laughs> has been doing this his whole life. Right. Uh, uh you know twenty something years in the business. It was kind of hard. You know me being a fighter and just seeing different things that uh you know that he didn't see or you know that I thought that would make sense. And it was kind of hard to kind of go go back and forth with him. You know because <laughs> you know Teddy knows boxing and right. you can't tell you can't tell that man anything. So. Um, I was kinda timid, you know, at, at first, but uh I, I it was okay. I mean I spoke up in a horn fight but I <laughs> I should have spoke a little bit more, but I didn't want to get uh, chewed out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's a tough one for your first for your debut. I mean, not only is it uh, the first time you're you're doing TV, but you're all the way in Australia. And from what it seemed, yeah. what it looked like, I mean, it was like the sun blasting on you. Your eyes are outside. It was a very tough fight to score, maybe not that tough of a fight to to analyze because I thought uh, Pacquiao won that one. So that's a really tough one for your yeah. debut. Yeah, it
1: was a t- it was a tough fight. I, I just I just know. I just know how sometimes these judges can can uh, get lost in in, in, in the fight. Mm-hmm. They actually start watching the fight instead of judging the fight. Um, I, I've seen it time after time where it's happened. Um, when a fight is, you know, if, if there's a household name fighter and, and if he looks like he's being dominated which, uh, you know, Pacquiao, like I always tell people, I say, you know, Pacquiao won the boxing match, but he lost the fight. Right. You know, after the fight, it's like, who would you rather be after the fight? Pacquiao was bloody. You know, he was cut. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I thought he lost the last three rounds in the fight. I thought, you know, early on, I thought Horn was able to to back him up, put him on a rope. Whether the punches are landing or not, you guys, everybody has to understand that when you have a judge that, you know, if you're against a rope and he's behind you, or not behind you, but on the other side of the opponent, yeah. he's welling on you, he can't see what's landing. He can't see what's landing. All he sees is that you're bagged up against the rope and you're getting worked. Yeah, he doesn't know you what know, the guy against the, the ropes doing, right? You really don't know what the guy against the rope is doing. Mm-hmm. You don't know if every shot is landing, but all you see is that he's getting he's getting worked right. and and so, all right, he went, so horn wins that round. So there was a lot of swing rounds in there, too. I watched the fight several times. I still feel Pacquiao won the fight by two points. Mm-hmm. Um but like I said, he won the boxing match but he didn't win the fight.
0: So so you, so you went back and you watched the fight. Now I'm sure you went back and watched a lot of your fights that you've been in. Now do you go back and watch yeah. fights that you've broadcasted now? Is that gotta be a totally different experience now?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did I, I say this back. and
0: why didn't I do that?
1: Yeah, yeah, because I like I I miss sometimes, you know, uh well. It's good to have, you know, Tessitore has been doing this for years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, uh, he's literally, literally the LeBron James of broadcasting. <laughs> I uh, agree with you.
0: He's been on our show before. Uh, we know known him forever. He's Joe Tessitore is one of the best broadcasters in any sport.
1: In any sport. And, you know, he's on Monday Night Football now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has Witten and stuff. And, you know, he has a lot of new guys that he has to train up. And uh, there's not a better guy for it. So, you know, he just makes you right out the gate believe in yourself. And he says, you know this stuff. You know, you've been doing this your whole life. Like, I believe in you. You have to believe in yourself. So he gives you so much confidence and so much uh, um, advice. Mm-hmm. on um, what to do what not to say because some things i, I might <laughs> there's some things that i want to say but he says don't say that don't oh wow say that. <laughs> yeah i mean you gotta be careful i mean
0: there's <laughs> you know? a disney company you're working for you gotta be careful with some of the things you want to you really want to say because we've all been there sitting in the stands or we're, we're watching a fight and it's like it's a primal thing you're watching a fight and you want to say things that just come out but that's part of the game you gotta yeah. be a little more calculated right
1: yeah, well, yeah, because I, I wanted to say balls. I was like, can I say testicles? And it's <laughs> like, it's like, Tim, you cannot say testicles on air. You understand that? I was <laughs> like, okay, Seth. I was like, well, what can I say? Was just like, And then uh, Mark was like, say onions. Onions. Onions are fine. Yeah, that's when you go to
0: Mark. That's when you go to the wordsmith. Go to Mark. He'll tell you all the things you can and can't say, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i feel like you can say yeah, testicles i feel like you can't say balls but you can say testicles on espn yeah
1: because that's uh, like the, the the right term to say right I yeah mean, it's, uh, the that's right like that you go to the answer.
0: doctor and he goes in yeah, that's. i don't want to get into all that but yeah yeah, like, yeah i feel like that you could get away with <laughs> it's boxing come on man everyone's <laughs> no one this isn't uh you know chess we're watching boxing but uh you bring up guys what, like what? go ahead
1: Go ahead, you can't say it. You no. just can't say it. Yeah. But uh, you know, but it's all it, it. It. But you know, I, I do go back and I see like my mistakes and things like that, and I'm like, okay, I gotta look at the camera more. Okay, I'm I, I'm looking off in the distance, like I can't lose focus.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh,
1: why did I say that? Oh my God, I stumbled on that word. It's just like so much stuff, you know. You and they told me that like you're never gonna have a perfect broadcast, and the minute you have a perfect broadcast, the minute that's the minute you're not a broadcaster tim. yeah and
0: um, I, I but forward, i've heard yeah. is you're only good as your last show so you can have a great fight or you can have a great performance or you in your case now you can have a great broadcast but if you don't have another one the next week people are not going to remember your good one they're going to remember the time that tim bradley said balls on the air or something something ridiculous yes yes yes
1: it's, it's, it's very tough it's very tough but oh uh, you know we're, we're human mm-hmm. um i so i'm new to this uh you know uh ESPN believes in me. Um, you know, all my bosses and everybody they believe that I can do it. Um, you know, I, I have the knowledge and I, I mean, I'm spreading it a little, little by little. Yeah, I and agree. And the hardest part for me, the hardest part for me is is not giving the fighters completely away. So, like if if like when I'm breaking down stuff and like mm-hmm. I have my keys, my points and stuff like that. I pick certain ones that are, you know, that I think that are, you know, detrimental to the fighter, and I think he should pay attention to it when I'm telling him, you know, stop dropping your hands when you're pulling back, like that's a big Mm no-no. But it's the hardest thing for me is during the broadcast, not actually telling the fans how to like beat the fighter. I think that's the hardest thing for me because I just see certain things that the fighter doesn't like, and and if you if you continue to do it, you know, you can beat them, and 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 not just not just you know the guy that he's facing, but like anybody can mm-hmm. beat him, and so it's really hard for me not to like completely just give away, you know, each fighter in the ring and break them down and on all their all their flaws, you know. So I have to. Right. Yeah, fight, you, like, you want to
0: focus I, I like on it. the positives because you can easily go down the rabbit hole, like this guy doesn't have a chance, but you have to sell it to the audience that you know maybe this guy is the B side, but he does have a chance to beat the A side.
1: You know, you you want to know something? Yes. I've been putting my I've been getting my foot put in my mouth like for the last couple of shows because there's I I I look at certain fighters and certain styles and I watch the film on them and let me give you an example of uh, of Diaz that fought a few weeks ago okay. and he fought against a guy that only had 25 Ito uh, right. who only had 25 fights professionally no amateur experience at all mm-hmm. whereas Diaz is like a, 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 a astounding amateur in Puerto Rico, and, you know, he has a a really good, you know, boxer, puncher-type style, and I'm like, this kid should be able to, you know, dominate Ito. You know, Ito has very limited experience, never fought outside Japan. And this kid, Ito, comes in the ring and just completely, like, demolishes Diaz, you know, takes it to him, beats him in every department, you know, every distance, and I'm like, oh my goodness! Like, <laughs> you know, this is like a rude awakening for me. So it, it does experience really matter, you know? Is it, you know having a good game plan, believing in yourself, does that matter more?
0: Right.
1: And you know, so I, I'm like, man. And then my the fight before that, same thing. And I'm just like, man, I i got to stop giving these guys... <laughs> well, the fans do so that at home, pretty. too.
0: The fans do that at home, too. They see a guy with the pedigree, like you talked about. Maybe they do it with body type. They see a guy who's absolutely ripped, like you were in your career, going up against a guy yeah. with a little more puffier midsection, and they go, oh, wow, the guy that's ripped is going to win. And then the other, It's usually the other way around. So one thing I've learned working at CompuBox is I never judge like a book by its cover. It never ends up that way. Yeah. And the same thing with broadcasting. So it's an interesting point uh, you bring up there. But now that you're sure. a member of the media... Uh, do you have a greater appreciation for media members and broadcasters than you did but maybe when you were uh in the game?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I really do. I, I, I have a, a a great appreciation for them because um especially especially when they're when they're when they're getting it right, man. When they're getting it right. Like I appreciate listening to Roy. I appreciate listening to like uh to Paulie. Mm-hmm. You know, who's another great broadcaster? I think um, boxing broadcaster Andre Ward, another great one. Um, but I, I, when they're getting it right, man, I, I really enjoy listening listening to it, and especially when when fighters are not they're the B side is really not getting a whole lot of love. You know, I, I really like it when 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 they when they split the attention. You know, from from the B side to the A mm-hmm. side. Right. That. So. You know, I I like that, man. You know, just keeping it real, keeping it 100 with the fans. That's what it's about. Um, That's what the fans want to hear. They don't want to hear just, you know, oh, this, you know, the A side and, you know, just the story about the A side. They want to hear the B side, too, or the guy that's actually winning the fight. That's yeah, that's something I've noticed more and more.
0: That's something I've noticed more and more in the sport is the the fans, they don't want to be sold when they're watching a fight. They want to just hear the commentators break down what's going on in the ring.
1: That's it. That's all it is. That that that's basically it, and then the coolest part about my job is that I can I can be bluntly and can be completely honest. That yeah. what that's what I'm there. That's what I'm paid to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I think if I think a certain way, uh, it's not necessarily going to be. I don't think it's necessarily going to be true. It's still a boxing match, but this is what should I think that should happen or may could happen. But sometimes that's not way the way it goes. Right. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know that just makes it more interesting for the fans. But the fact that, like, if I just say, like, "Hey, this guy doesn't belong in the ring with this guy because he has no experience," he, you know, he's fought against, you know, uh, you know, cab drivers or whatever. (laughs) You know, if I say something like that on air, then it's okay. It's it's fine. It's what I, what I believe. And that's the coolest thing about my job is that I can be completely blunt, blunt, bluntly honest at the right time. You know. Yeah. So so it sounds like you're
0: enjoying it, man. It sounds like you're really enjoying the broadcasting.
1: I really do. I really do enjoy it. I really do. I can't wait to this weekend because I think these fights this weekend is going to be pretty interesting. So yeah, we got Brian Jennings um, and Jesse, and Jesse Hart. Hart. Yeah, yeah. Jennings, Jesse Hart, Dimitrenko, and you got uh, uh Gavonsky fighting. Gavonsky not a bad fighter. He's a tough. He's a really tough, tough guy. He really is. Uh, Hart, same thing. Philly uh, guy, tough guy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then, but uh is a big guy, man. Mm-hmm. And then you got, then you got some of the longest arms in boxing by Jennings. Yeah. He has an 84 inch reach, wow. man. Like that's bigger than Muhammad Ali's. That's like that's Sonny Liston type arm reach.
0: Well, that's why he was able to get in there with, with Klitschko. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't get the, the decision that he wanted. But you know, he's a shorter, stockier heavyweight. But the fact that his arms are that long gives him a little bit of a mix up for some of the other things, right?
1: Yeah, it's unreal. Uh, it's it's unreal. I and I, I believe right now, I think he's he has longer arms than, than anyone in the sport, even longer than um uh what's the boy the other heavyweight? Joshua wow. or uh, or Wilder. That's
0: nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. And then the following week, on August 25th, Ray Beltran, Jose Pedraza, and the reason that that fight, uh, and I mean it's a great fight in itself, but the winner of that one is going to get Lomachenko. Now you've called a lot of Lomachenko's fights, uh, Jorge Linares. Go down the list of some of the fights he's been featured on on ESPN. Do you feel like he is the uh, the best fighter in the game right now, and who can potentially uh, stop Lomachenko?
1: Well, right now, I think Terrence Crawford is the best fighter okay. in the sport right now, All right. Um, because because he everything everything he can do on the left side he can do on the right side, uh, you know all the accolades that he's even won all the championships he's won. Uh, I think he just has a dominant style, man. And and I, I think Terrence, Terrence Crawford honestly to me is pretty much right now the guy that you know has the art of boxing. The art of boxing is leaving, man. He's living the sport. Loma has it too. Loma you know fights off angles. Uh, which is what is the art of boxing, you know, hit, don't get hit, fight, fight off angle. Um, two completely different styles. Uh, Lomas, you know, likes to stay mid distance, you know, likes to stay mid distance. He has a lot of advantages, especially because he has short arms. He has like 65, he has a 65 inch reach, and, you know, he has really short arms for, uh, for, you know, a, a lightweight and, um, but I, I love his style. I don't know if there's if he goes up in weight. I think if he fights like a guy like Manny Pacquiao, he might be in prob- in trouble. I think if he fights a guy like Mikey, there's a possibility Mikey could be too big and just you know because like like I said, Loma has to come in distance range. He has short arms. He has to come there. Right. So he has to come down that middle every now and then. And Mikey has really good timing, really good legs, really good balance, and he has pretty good defense as far as you know keeping his hands at home and 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 making guys fall short
0: yeah that's what Lomachenko did against Linares I mean Lomachenko versus he had to get inside he had to take a beating for a little bit just to get inside to land that body shot
1: yes yes but as far as skills wise skill wise um I mean he's probably one of the best skill wise with Terrence Crawford Uh, um these guys are running the race um as far as who's the best fighter in the sport, mm-hmm. my pick is chance Crawford. But I, I love, I love Loma. I, I think he's phenomenal. Uh, I think that you know Ray, Ray, I love Ray. I love him. I love him to death. But I just don't think he's ready for a guy like Loma. Uh, you know, I just, I, I just don't think he's ready for a guy like Loma. I think Loma's just too quick to get in, and out, get in and out on Ray. Uh, Ray's a take coming for a fighter that eats, eats punches. Like it's, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and uh, you know he's a tough guy. He can punch. He can punch, and he's going to do a lot of punch punishment in that fight. And I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be suited better suited for for Ray if he fought against Loma. But you know he's a champion, and the champion has to face you know the best guys out there.
0: Yeah, that's something that I, we're seeing more and more. Like a lot of social media stuff, and like you know fighters are calling each other out. They're putting pressure on the networks. Uh, to make the fights, putting pressure on their promoters to make the fight. And you're seeing this a lot from Terrence Crawford. I mean, I don't know if you follow along with all the Twitter stuff, but you know, last week he was going out with Errol Spence. That's the fight everyone wants to see. And then this last week, uh, Danny Garcia and uh, and uh, Terrence were kind of going back and forth. But I want to talk about Crawford versus Spence, a fight that Everyone's talking about or wants to see down the line it might not ever happen because of, you know, the politics in boxing, but you know, how would you handicap a Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence fight at one forty seven?
1: Um, everybody needs to listen up, man. <laughs> Terrence Crawford is the best fighter on the planet. Okay. Errol Spence, Errol Spence has a lot of has a lot of juice, you know, a lot of sauce, these young kids they got a lot of sauce you know, momentum moving forward. Everybody likes him. He's big, he's strong. Uh you know, this kid has he's fundamentally sound. But Terrence Crawford has is, is the same. You know, fundamentally sound, fundamentally sound. Uh it's strong. Everybody thought that Horn was gonna be able to bully him. Uh Terrence looked like he wasn't the one hundred and forty pounder moving up to one hundred and forty seven pounds. He bullied Horn in that fight. And Terrence sees what I see and Earl Smith, Um, he sees the same thing. And that's the reason why he's saying, like, come on, serve him up on the platter. Um, I'll eat him for dinner. I'll eat him for lunch. Um, Because he sees exactly what I see. He sees a guy that's one-dimensional. Earl Smith, to me, as good as he is, he's great with the basics, you know, the jab, the straight left hand. But he's one-dimensional. His footwork is terrible. No footwork. Uh, No footwork. He's straight directly in front of you all the time. It's not hard to fight a guy when it's straight directly in front of you. You've got to get past that shield, which is his jab. He has a strong, extremely strong jab, and he sometimes falls with it to keep you at, at bay. You know, but Terrence has just, just as long arms as he does. Terrence is slightly shorter than him, and Terrence knows how to get in. He has good legs, good footwork to be able to to outmaneuver, in my opinion, a one-dimensional Earl Spence to me. So, Oh. I that's what I'm going if they fight, if they fight, I'm Terrence Crawford all day, I'll bet my house on
0: it. <laughs> you probably have a really nice house too, so that's would uh, I like to take you up on that bet maybe.
1: Any day any day of the week, man. When they when they if they they have to fight. Yes, they, they do. They have to fight. And when they do and when they do fight, when they do fight, Terrence is gonna beat up. He's gonna beat up on Earl Smith. Wow. He won't be early, he's gonna be late. He's gonna beat up on him.
0: I like it. I, he's I like it. beat
1: up. And he's gonna beat him, and he's gonna beat him in the inside, where everybody thinks Earl's gonna have opportunities opportunity to land against him. He's gonna beat him up in the inside. He's gonna bag him up. And he's, gonna, he's gonna push him back, and he's gonna beat him up when he's going out too.
0: And you say and it has then he's to be move made. On him. You say it has to be made in the sport of boxing. I absolutely agree with you. They have to make that happen. It's
1: a fight. It, yeah, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fight that because Earl, Earl to me, he's a great fighter, man. But Earl to me, really. If you look at what Terrence has done all so far, and mm-hmm. you look at what Earl has done so far, it, you know Earl still, to me, still is still green. You
0: got a you little, know, you, know, you got a little happened. late start. Yeah, you got a little bit of a late start. But a lot of times with this, it's like everyone can't fight the same resume. It's not like a, like in uh, baseball or football, where everyone kind of has the same schedule. You know this. You didn't get to fight uh, Floyd Mayweather, but you kind of have to just go on who they fought and and who was in front of them that time, right?
1: Well, it 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 takes experience. It's experience. Terence has been in big, huge fights. I know Spence went over and fought against Kel Brook, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he he won that fight. Brook was in that fight until his eye got tore up, right. you know, from you know Golovkin or whatnot. But you know, to me, Brook was in that fight. I, I thought it was a close fight, you know. I thought thought Earl started pulling pulling away late because Brook had a hard time dealing with that eye. Right. But he beat him. He beat him. <laughs> All right. He beat him. All right. But. And then he beat uh, a Peterson who was who was faded, in my opinion, who right. was faded, you know. Um, but those are like the two biggest names that I see on his resume. Whereas Terrence, he he basically won the every beat everybody at 140 pounds. Besides this new CAG Pro Grade that's coming up, right. who has very limited experience as well, um, and he dominated the division there. And he's coming up and he fought a, a rugged, tough guy in Horn. And he won a championship in his first fight at 147 pounds, and he's willing, just like Earl Spence, willing to face anybody at right. any any given time, or place, or where. Yeah, and and is, I think he ahead. beats Danny. Okay. I think he beats Danny too. I think he beats Danny. I think he beats uh, uh, Sean Porter. I think he beats Thurman. I think he beats. Uh, I don't even know if Thurman's going to come back and fight. Yeah, I you don't. Know, I don't disagree
0: really? with you there. It's just like I've seen this on Twitter, and it's it's a very valid argument about what's more impressive to you the fact that uh Terence Crawford disposed of everyone at 140 in really impressive fashion or Danny Garcia fighting some bigger names and maybe not looking as sharp or as dominant as um as Terence Crawford did what do you think
1: no no Spence looks Spence looks dominant you know Spence looked dominant um his last performance he fought a guy that was long longer than he was and, and, you know, gave him a little gave him a little issues, but he dominated, ended him with a body shot. He's coming off of, uh, I think it's like 12 consecutive knockouts or something like that, um, which is impressive because it's not about just winning. It's about how you win. Right. And it doesn't matter who you fight. And it's the same thing with, with, with uh, Manny Pacquiao. You know, everybody's like, oh, he fought a tailor-made opponent and this and that. But, but leading up to the fight, you all you hear is everybody, oh, man, Matisse can punch mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Pacquiao got to be careful. And then you hear some people saying that, oh, he might have to pull himself off the canvas and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And it's a perfect Taylor May guy. But it's like, hey, he still got in there. And it's how he won the fight. That's Mm -hmm. what's impressive. You know, it's the fact that he stopped Matisse. That's impressive, you know. And being at 39 years old, it doesn't matter what Matisse was or won and this and that. But because he was fierce when he was getting ready to fight him. Mm-hmm. Oh, watch out for his big punch!
0: Yeah, they gotta sell but the fight. Now yeah. the
1: fact that Pac did, yeah, because everybody's like, "Oh, he can punch, he can punch, he can punch," and I'm just like, "He gonna get stopped," <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, he he say, stopped. He, and he and did. He said gonna get stopped, and he did get stopped because he's too, because Pacquiao's just too fast and too strong. And still at, you know, with his B game, still at 39 years old, he's better than a lot of guys A game. And a lot of people don't really realize that Pac can still compete with these guys oh, I at so. away
0: I think so. You're right. I always you wanted know? to ask you this about about Manny Pacquiao. I feel like you get. You have gotten so many Pacquiao questions And a lot of uh, your career Oh, There's three great fights with Pacquiao And I, I can just sense that you have a ton of respect for him uh, Just from the way you talk about I him do. I do I know you do But I, I, do. I, want, I want to ask you And if I'm out of line You can just—you can tell me right now Do you have a lot of respect for him too Because the fact that you fought him three times And it really changed your career From a financial standpoint Given the, the, no, it's what it's he brings to the about table No, okay.
1: it's not even about that It's not even about the money It's about the fact that, that I know I know I know what my ability was. Mm-hmm. I, like a lot of a lot of the a lot of the championships that I that I won, I probably shouldn't have never won. But the <laughs> fact that, you know, my heart, my determination, the skill, my, my IQ, my ring IQ, I was able to I was able to beat these guys. I fought the guy named Kendall Hall, who was who's was one of the biggest punches in the sport at yep. the time, uh with hand speed, he had size me over, over me and everything. But I did what he doesn't like all night and I took that chance <laughs> and I took and I gambled. And I had to pull myself off the canvas to come back and win the fight. So I know that I'm a tough threat to anybody in the division. If I was still fighting, I would still be tough to anybody in the division yeah. at 147 pounds. I still would be tough, you know. Um, and I compete with this guy. The fact that Pac was able to, to beat me, mm-hmm. you know, and and the way he did it and went about it, I just, I'm just i just impressed with that because I, I'm just – I know I'm really – I'm tough. I'm tough, I'm durable, yeah. and this is a guy that, that was able to, you know, have more stamina than I did, he had more speed than I did, you know, more footwork than I did, and I'll just he blew me away with it. Wow. And I'm just like, wow, I got the un- unbelievable most respect for this young man, this, uh, you know, older gentleman, Manny Pacquiao, because he's the only guy in my career that beat me. He's the only guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, Marquez couldn't even touch me. Marquez couldn't even touch no, me. No, he didn't. Where does one, one so, fighter
0: out there, one fight you wish you wish you could have had? Is it Mayweather? It was money, yeah. Oh, I wanted money. that fight so that bad. A, I wanted to see that. I think that a lot a of boxing fight. fans wanted to see that. Tell us how you would fight uh, Mayweather. How do you think that would shake out?
1: No, I, I mean, how I'll fight Mayweather. Mayweather is Mayweather, a guy that can, can do pretty much anything in the ring. He's a guy that can press forward. He's a guy that can, that can box him back, going backwards as well. He's really good. He's really sneaky, and he has a good jab. A good jab as well. But the thing is that with Mayweather, you, you have to out-jab him. Somehow you have to land your jab. Mm-hmm. Cotto was able to do it. Right. Cotto was able to do it. And then when you have to, when you get him on that angle, Cotto kind of gave you the blueprint on how to get Mayweather. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, um, but the Cotto problem is Cotto kept his head down in the middle and Mayweather noticed that and knew that. And so Mayweather would, would lift him up with that uppercut. He would mm-hmm. throw that jab, that, 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 that right uppercut. Sweep with the hook, and then come back right back to it—the double uppercut. Right, you know, um, either right side or left side. So he knew that's what Cotto did. But as far as like getting the Mayweather, I think I think that was his toughest toughest fight was Cotto mm-hmm. because Cotto had a you know really good jab Cotto was a, a natural left-handed uh guy and yeah, he had a really yeah. good jab and he was and awkward
0: they, too I remember being in the locker room with Mayweather after the fight and, and Mayweather was talking to all his people out there and he was saying how awkward Cotto was and how he was willing to like you know go in with his head and, and take some punches And I feel like you kind of maybe would have done the same thing
1: yeah yeah well shoot one of the things is is that I didn't get a lot of angels with my defense. My defense, I didn't get a lot of credit uh, 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 for my defense. Um, and then I didn't, you know, and I have pretty good footwork. So I just felt like I was able to to be offensive-minded and then be defensive-minded and then be offensive-minded again against Mayweather.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, and man. Have a, it's tough. And have, and, have,
1: and, have a, and have a better chance because the Mayweather see when Mayweather counter, he, ca- he caught and shot and sh- catch and shoot. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys, they would sit there. And so for me, I just felt like, you know, I knew what he was going to be doing or what man. he's going to try to do, so I would I would let my hands go and then I would and then I would put myself in the defensive posture or defensive area where he couldn't hit me with that counter. Fans. I'll be ready for it. We fans, we you got know, we got uh, robbed
0: of that one. That's the fight, and yeah, I really really wanted to see. It would would it be Tim Bradley versus Floyd Mayweather,
1: man. Yeah. Just stepping on the gas pedal with him, man. Yeah. You see, any any time he got bagged up and really got the pressure put on him. You know, uh there was there was holes in his defense. There's definitely holes in his defense. Wow. So uh, Madonna, you saw that when he fought against Marcus Madonna, yep. you saw that when he fought against uh we even go back when he fought against uh Castillo. Oof. You know, uh, Castillo bagged him up because Castillo had, you know, pretty good defense coming in, moving forward, moving his head and then attacking Mayweather to the body mm-hmm. and just hitting him anywhere he could. Yeah. And he had some success. Now, Tim, you, first fight, it's so. pretty
0: clear you have you have the fire still in you. I can hear it. I can I can uh, when you say you're tough and you're durable <laughs> and all that. Do you ever ever think about coming back?
1: Always, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do it though? I mean, you're only thirty. What thirty four? I'll be thirty five at the end of the month. But I, 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 I man, this the broadcasting the broadcasting career. It, it, it's it's important to me, and I want to give one hundred percent in that area. Uh I like I said, I think about it every day. I see a lot of opportunities out there. Um I I wouldn't mind mixing it up. you know, I wouldn't mind mixing it up with the top one forty sevens out there, you know, especially if I was to come back and get my uh get my feet wet first. You know, it's been I've been out for almost two years now, so that's that's a that's that's a tough challenge in itself and I haven't been taking a I've been taking a punch in, in two years. So <laughs> That's the hardest part about coming back and and having ring rust and you know being able to absorb absorb, absorb a punch right. to the head or the body. Yeah. That's the hardest part about the playoffs So uh, that's something I would have to worry about. But um, man, I I'm just competitive, man. I I just love boxing and um, I love the sport. Like I said, to me, to me, I just think that the the sport definitely is losing. The, you know, the art of boxing is definitely losing, man. It, we're we're losing the art of boxing, man. All these trainers, man, they need to step their game up, man. Because I, as I'm broadcasting these fights and I see these fighters do make the same mistake over and over, pulling back with their hands down, you know, uh, never going out backwards instead of going out to the side, um, you know, not even moving their head, no head movement, um, you know. They don't jab was, no anymore floor. either.
0: There's no jabbing anymore they don't in the sport.
1: Ja- no, they don't jab. They don't set up anything off the jab. All they do is they come hunting forward. They don't even move their head. Right. And and, and if you try to step back, just to, you know to, to use their legs as defense. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just it's just leaving the sport, man. It, it really is. And when I see a really good fighter, talented fighter like Terrence Crawford, it makes me happy. When I see a guy <laughs> like you know Loma, that makes me happy. Right. Or a guy like T- Tilufimo Lopez, you know when I see a guy catch and shoot, a guy that moves on angles that you know has that flair to him, man. That makes me happy. Or a guy like, you know, uh, Stevenson, uh, Shakur Stevenson, you know, a young guy like that. That makes me happy because this is the art of boxing. Hit don't get hit. You know, um, you know, Sugar Shane and and go, we go way back, man. uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Right. um, The art of boxing. Whitaker. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, Roy Jones. I mean, you can go back and you can watch all these fighters, man. Those guys had skills, man. They had skills. Wow.
0: You I know, agree with you. I agree and, with you.
1: It's just different. Now it's just sock Soccer Robots. Now.
0: <laughs> I got that actually on my set right now, but Tim, I can talk to you all day about boxing. I've thoroughly yeah. enjoyed this. Uh, we really like watching you on, on uh, Top Ring on ESPN, doing a great job. Who knows? Maybe hey, one day we'll see you in the ring once again, but for now, you're going to be outside the ring. <laughs> Don't <push> me. <laughs>
1: We're
0: going to be outside the ring in your suit, uh, breaking down the sport like no other. Tim Bradley, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, man.
1: Appreciate you, man. All right. Thank talk
0: you. to you soon. right, I said last week I wasn't going to do a Twitter hitter segment. And I said this week I wasn't going to do a Twitter hitter segment until I opened up my phone and I see straight chaos on my timeline all weekend long, all week long. So we got a little Twitter hitter action for you this week. We'll start with Terrence Crawford, arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the game right now. And right now he's showing that he's the best pound-for-pound tweeter in the game. Last week he went at Errol Spence. Uh, They've been going at it for a while now. Now Danny Garcia is his latest target. And that's when Terence hopped on, on Twitter and he said, "Yo, Danny Swift, look, you didn't do what I did at 140. I was the undisputed, something you never was." From there, he goes on to say that he was scared to come up to fight some of the best at 147. Crawford then said that, "Listen, I went up to 147. I fought Terence. I fought uh, Jeff Horn in my first fight. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have a, a step up fight. You know, uh, I didn't get handed a belt. So that's what Terence Crawford said. Of course, Danny Swift Garcia." is going to respond. I kind of like what what Danny Garcia says here. Listen, I'm not going to go back and forth with you. I'm fighting someone else. So, a.k.a. I have Sean Porter in my sights. Why am I going to sit here and talk to you, Terrence Crawford? This fight between you and I is probably never, ever going to happen. But you have no notable wins. That's what Danny Garcia says uh, to Terrence Crawford. I already beat you for free. Why would I do it for some millions? Apparently, that leads you to believe that they had a sparring session uh, that no one ever saw or heard about. That Danny Garcia claims that he got the best of. That's not what Terrence Crawford thinks. Because he hops back on. And he says, you're only as good as your last win. And that last time I checked, I whooped your ass last. So apparently Terrence Crawford thinks that he won that sparring session. That's when uh, Terrence Crawford then had to hop back on. And say, listen, I can go on and on about your resume. As well as about who I beat. The only person I give you credit for is Amir Khan. And that's uh, others. You get no points for none of them says uh, Terrence Crawford. But here's how I rate this one, official CompuBox rating for this Twitter beef, is I have to give the win to Danny Garcia. How many times have you been in an argument on Twitter, or you've been in an argument uh, with someone, and you said, listen, I'm not going to go back and forth with you, and then you proceed to go back and forth with them all day long. He let Terrence Crawford start to instigate this. He said, I'm not going to go back and forth with you, and he didn't, and then Terrence Crawford went on and on and on. But it, it led a lot of people on Twitter to go down a rabbit hole of, of who they think uh, it was, the, was better at 140 or 147, like, do you put more emphasis on the fact that Terrence Crawford was undisputed at 140, or do you put more emphasis on the, on some of the names that Danny Garcia fought? We're just going on names. Could be not going on actual results in fights that you thought that Danny Garcia lost that he actually won. It, in my opinion, I think Danny Garcia has the better resume than Terrence Crawford, and I don't even think it could be debated. But, on the flip side... Terrence Crawford beat his opponents that were put in front of him a lot more soundly and more convincingly uh, than Danny Garcia did. It was a nice little uh, debate on on Twitter and uh, something that I kept uh, an eye on uh, for this uh, very segment. But we move forward here now with uh, (laughs) Conor McGregor. You know, I was having a perfectly fine Saturday until I opened up Twitter and I see that Conor McGregor decided to retweet MMA history today which said, it was one year ago today when Dana White released the video of Conor McGregor dropping Paulie Malignaggi. And there's the picture of Paulie on his back, McGregor standing over him. That's when McGregor, he quote uh, tweets it and says, time flies when you're on your ass. You know this just like sent like the bat signal and went up to Brooklyn, New York, Bensonhurst, New York, where Paulie Malignaggi resides. And this led me to believe, or I learned, that Paulie Malignaggi had not tweeted since July 13th. Over a month, or close to a month, no tweets from the Twitter king, Paulie Malignaggi. But no. If McGregor's going to chirp at him, uh, Malignaggi's going to take the bait, and he's going to go right in, because this right here is his Super Bowl. He loves talking about Conor McGregor, especially that, that infamous sparring session. That's when Malignaggi hopped on and says, dude has two kids, which... I'm pretty sure McGregor only has one kid, but maybe there's one that we don't know about. Dude has two kids and an ass-kicking since this, and he still lives off a fake knockdown that he knows wasn't real. Uh, McGregor, your feelings are still hurt? Question mark. Don't get your feelings hurt, you little bitch. It's still our little secret. Don't run for your life when they ring the bell wasn't just there. He went on to start responding to fans, of course, the MMA fanboys, as he call them, and he says things like, you know, uh, McGregor's going to uh, run in his fight, or he's going to, not only is he going to run in his fight with Khabib, he's going to pull out of the fight a week before. So not is now Natradamus as well. But this was funny to me because we hadn't heard from Malinaji on Twitter in a very long time. Who knows why he's been taking a, a month-long hiatus. Some people, uh, they uh, give up social media for a lot of different reasons. But the fact that he got back on and the first thing he's tweeting about is McGregor, is just, it's just so classic. And uh, more and more of that, will, I'm sure he's going to keep on going because Malignaggi is one person we know. does not let a beef die out. Uh, that, that's for sure. Uh, but going forward here on Twitter hitters, this is something that came out of nowhere. Um, Lance Pugmire put out a tweet. Uh, he interviewed uh, Triple G, Lance Pugmire, with the LA Times. Been on the show before. Uh, great reporter. Gets a lot of good inside stuff. But he um, was talking about Triple G. Well, Triple G had some really uh, stern stuff to say about Canelo, saying he's the most unpleasant and dirtiest opponent I've ever had, dirty in the taking of substances that are prohibited and trying to blame other people. So that's something that a lot of people can agree about, is that yeah, Canelo, yeah, he he did PEDs, or um, whether or not you believe he did it, whatever, and he blamed all this other thing, blamed the meat, he blamed everyone under the sun but himself. That's what we can all agree about. That's when Mia St. John... If you don't know who Mia St. John is to the casual boxing fan, I'm sure the hardcores know. She's one of the first uh, women boxers to kind of gain fame and notoriety in the mid-90s, late-90s. I didn't even know that she fought in uh, 2016. I mean, that's crazy because I think she's over 50 years old. Uh, She said, whatever. Um, Everyone does it, and everyone in boxing knows it. And she's talking about steroids. And this is a case where um, someone just tweets something. And they don't think it's going to be picked up or they just think it's going to be lost in the replies of someone with a lot of followers like Lance Pugmire. No, it's not going to happen when you're Mia St. John, who is a, a former uh, big time name in the, in the sport of boxing. And that's when, when all these fighters started picking up on it. You had Tony Ballou, you had Carl Frampton, uh, you had the Serrano sisters, you had um, Shields, you had all these these box, these box boxers say, you know what, no, no. Uh, I think it was uh, Sergio Mora as well. No, not everyone does steroids. Not everyone... uh, Don't just lump all of us in there just because you have a broad... uh, You want to get some more fame. You want to maybe have a resurgence in boxing. And it led to a long debate and uh, she went on to call Lance Bugmire and tell him or reveal that she did steroids for 20 of her fights and that she knows all the fighters today that are on it. And uh, so I think this is a, a fluid situation. I think that... That a lot more. We're going to hear from uh, Mia St. John and try to figure out if, first of all, if she if she's valid. Uh, number two, uh, when did she do the steroids in, in these fights? If anyone uh, really cares about that, mostly it's going to be about who does she know that's on steroids. Because we've heard, we've seen this in, in different sports. We saw it in baseball with Jose Canseco when he came, first came out and he started naming names. Everyone kind of wrote him off and was like, "Nah, this guy's trying to sell a book. He's got ulterior motives." I mean, this guy has has a very poor reputation. So, you know, I'm not ready to kind of say that she's wrong. I want to hear hear her out and see all the facts here and kind of uh, get to the bottom of it. But it's pretty interesting that uh, Mia St. John can kind of just come out here and kind of throw everyone under the bus, which ticked off a lot, a lot of fighters. Finally, can't do a Twitter segment if we don't mention the great James Begg Jr., one of the greatest Twitter uh, personalities of all time in my opinion. Uh, and the backstory on this, here's a picture of our our friend of the show, Brian Campbell, the great Brian Campbell, of CBS Sports. He's wearing a, a personalized robe with his name on the back, given to him from the Contender series. It's part of like a media thing where they want to get people to uh, get some more notoriety or try to get the word out there for the show. So he, he posts a picture looking mean, Campbell grilling in front of a mirror with Campbell on the back. That's when James Beck, who is, he just loves to go at Campbell, whether it's about his wrestling tweets. He just loves to rip into Campbell. It's all good fun because he doesn't he doesn't go too far with it. He goes pretty far with other guys, but not Campbell. That's when he tweeted at George Foreman and says, George, rate my robe. And clearly, it's not James Bagdorff. That's Campbell. That's when Foreman responds. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what James Baggs is. He doesn't know his shtick on uh, Twitter. That's when George Foreman said, cool rope. <laughs> I don't see a rope anywhere in there. Um, but guess what, Foreman? You got bagged. And it happens to the best of us. But that's it for Twitter hitters. If you have any tweets that you want to get featured here on Inside Boxing Live, use the hashtag Twitter hitters and uh, we'll post it on the show. Okay, that's a wrap for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. We have to thank our guest Tim Bradley for coming on the show. Really good interview. Some good stuff there. 30 minutes. He really laid it out for us. We're a boxing purist, Tim Bradley. Uh, really left it out in the ring during his, his fighting days, and now he's a broadcaster, learning every single week. Uh, he's his own worst critic at times. He uh, got Kriegel telling him what he can say and what he can't say. And most of all, what I took away from that interview was a guy that still has the fire burning within him. I mean, when I brought up a comeback, he said, yes, right away. I think about it every single day. I look at the 147-pound division, and I want to fight the best. So don't be surprised if you uh, see a story that uh, Tim Bradley is contemplating uh, coming back into the ring and stepping foot in there. Uh, as for this upcoming week, we have the return of Tyson Fury, the heavyweight division. And uh, I saw some uh, headlines that Deontay Wilder will be making the trick The trip and we'll be ringside for this. So I can see it right now. Fury wins the fight. Deontay Wilder gets into the ring. They go face to face. And then Showtime announces that the two will be fighting later in 2018. That's just my opinion. Uh, Carl Frampton will be also uh, in action this weekend. And then over in Atlantic City, uh, Top Rank will be back. As uh, Bryant Jennings gets into the ring, Jesse Hart as well. I will be heading to Atlantic City myself to cover some MMA action, PFL uh, in, uh, on uh, NBC. I'm actually looking forward to seeing what Atlantic City has to offer. I know that the Hard Rock Casino was buzzing last weekend, according to HBO's Jim Lampley. I'm seeing a real big resurgence uh, with legalized gambling. So it's something to keep your eye on as a boxing fan as Atlantic City makes its uh, big triumphant return in the world of boxing. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, do so now inside Boxing Live on Apple. Uh, For Nick Canobio, our, our super producer, I'm Dan Canobio saying we'll see you next week.